All right. Welcome to the Spring Office Hours podcast, episode 40, titled Spring Boot 3.1 Release. I'm your host, Dan Vega, Spring Developer Advocate at VMware. And joining me, as always, is my good friend, Deshaun Carter. Deshaun, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm still, uh, I'm kind of rolling uh, in on the all of the excitement from last week. I'm still like, I got a little bit of buzz around me. My energy is high. Uh, I still haven't got as much sleep as I should have, but things are good. It's a great time to be a spring developer. It is. And let's jump right into there. We were traveling last week, so we did a show earlier than normal. I think we did it on Monday last week. We both traveled on Tuesday and you traveled to Barcelona, Spain. Look what um, I just saw. Look who's here. Oh, hello. All what? right. Yes. <laughs> hello. Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah. So you were in uh, Barcelona, Spain for Spring I.O., um, the 10th anniversary of the conference. I've never been to either Barcelona or Spring I.O., so I'm interested to hear from you. Uh, what happened? What happened there? How was it? How was the conference? Please tell us everything you can. So uh, from the beginning, it was uh, an event unlike any I'd ever seen. It, was, it, it started to feel like a rock concert, not just because of the, the people that were speaking, but the audience. The audience is an audience of, of us. Like it's, it's Spring developers excited about Spring and the ecosystem. And the audience was 100% engaged. Uh, amazing, brilliant, clearly. Uh, so there was a, a high intimidation factor. Uh, I was I was nervous, and then I, I was a part of the the opening session, uh, and yeah, my heart rate spiked. Uh, seeing everybody, I cried. Uh, Jurgen brought his family up for his his fa- his I, wedding anniversary, I saw uh, and that. I literally cried uh, when he had the Spring Core team up there, and it was just it was a great start. So from yeah. there, you know, emotions running everywhere. Uh, Josh did his thing. He showed all some of the cool features, not all, some of the cool features on uh, Spring Boot 3.1. Uh, and then we did some scale to zero uh, talk and it was amazing. Just the future and everything that's happened for Java to be around as long as it's been around and for us to be getting these massive game-changing improvements at this mm-hmm. point in the game, it's just, it's so incredible. The talks were amazing. The hallway track was amazing. Uh, the swag was also amazing. It was just a great event all the way around. And I highly recommend if you get any chance to go to that conference, it's it's absolutely worth it. If you are a Spring fan, uh, that's it awesome. Is absolutely worth it. How many how many attendees do you think were there? Uh, ballpark. It was sold out. So I want to yeah. say it was fifteen hundred. Nice. Cool. Yeah, but it was like. So there's like a difference, right? We can go to these big conferences and hey, we yep. have this many people registered, but people were running from session to session <laughs> trying to get good seats. Yeah. Like yeah. it was not a, a normal conference in any way, shape or form. And That's I tried awesome. to figure out like, how do you get this level of, of attendees? How do you get people mm-hmm. that are so excited about this conference to come? Like, do you have some kind of filter? And I, I have no idea like how, how, does that how well so. and it's it's something we've been talking about the last couple of years right like ever since covid it seems like europe is all the way back to being in person attending conferences where in the u.s it's been hit or miss right some conferences like dev nexus i thought were really uh, attended well and some other conferences and tour stops that we've done have not been attended well so yeah, I don't know. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about was I saw you guys did uh, like a bike ride slash wine tour. Uh, you got to tell me about that because I haven't I even heard about that. It was it was a, a speaker event. So after the event, it was a day we got picked up by a bus. We went out out in the country into Catalonia uh, nice. to a, a vineyard, a winery. And there was bikes there. And we had two different versions of the bike tour. Uh, a couple of folks went on a longer tour. Uh, I want to say it was like 40 kilometers. Uh, and oh. ours was like 20 kilometers, I think, maybe half that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it was just a, a bike tour. So it was, for us, it was uh, city bikes, right? No helmets, yep. just kind of uh, whatever, three or four gears uh, nice. with the, the carriage and fenders and stuff. Uh, and the other group, they had like legit road bikes, like not rent a bike, but like legit road bikes. And it was yeah so incredible to see. Like, so there was, yeah. People had their That's kits awesome. on. Uh, Rob Winch had his Kansas City kit. I was a big fan of that. 
Uh, and yeah, and then we, we went for a bike ride, got a little tour of the land, got a little bit of history. Um, and yeah, saw some cool stuff, took a lot, great, great weather. So we got some great, I, I was going to say, how was the weather? Uh, weather was perfect for a bike ride. Nice. Uh, and then after that, we had some food. We had a tour of the winery. Um, nice. and yeah, and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Those like experience, those <laughs> experiences yeah. are always like the cool thing. Um, you know, anytime you can like get an experience in place of like a gift, I think it's always, that's always going to be memorable. Whereas like a gift, you may like it, but you know, soon to, soon to be, it'll go past and go along its way. But those experiences you always remember. So pretty yes. cool. Uh, thanks to everybody that's joining. We're getting a lot of regulars, a lot of new folks from all over. Uh, it's great. Yes, the energy was good. Uh, and look at Sandro went to the first spring one. Uh, yes, Simon's jumping right in and looking forward to tinkering with crack soon. Uh, you've already done something with crack. You've already took the, the snapshot version over on AWS out for a spin. And yeah, like it's amazing. And yep. the demo that we saw at spring one was awesome. And I'm definitely going to be getting into it. I still got a little bit more work on the native stuff before I jump over. But... And just to be clear, what what AWS Lambda Snapstart is using is similar to Crack, but it's not entirely Crack because it uses their Firecracker VM, and so it's a mm -hmm. little bit different. But same like approach um, to to solving a problem that we all have, and that's why things like Crack and AOT and Graal VM are, are around today. So. Simon, I did get a new pair of shoes. <laughs> and yes, the talks have started appearing on YouTube. And last year, at this time last year, I think we both uh, said it, like there was so much FOMO about that conference. Yeah. The talks yeah. were so good. Um, yeah. So, you know, starting today, I highly recommend you go and watch every single one of those talks because this is something that I realized as I'm preparing these talks, like I've got a title and an abstract and yeah, like, Hey, here's what I'm going to try to teach you. But when I go to a conference, the things that I learn aren't typically the things that I went into that session wanting to learn. Yeah. I always learned something. Yeah. But that was kind of the, the magic here is there was so much, the talks were so good. There was so much packed into them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you're bound to learn something. So take time, yeah. set aside some time to go through anything that interests you because it'll definitely be worth it. Yep, I watched um, the the keynote was was already posted right away, and I started going through that. Um, didn't get a chance to go all the way through it yet, but I saw one of the things that was announced by the Graal VM folks um, was that uh, no longer in the next version of Graal VM, you'll no longer need to separately download the uh, native tools, if you will, to, to kind of generate that stuff, which I thought was just another step in the right direction of making this uh, a whole lot easier for everyone. Um, and though, for those of you join us, joining us on the podcast, you may not be seeing what we're seeing. We are on a live stream. We are getting lots and lots of great comments and questions from our friends here in the chat room. So if you're listening to the podcast and you want to join us live one day, uh, usually every Tuesday at 3.30 Eastern time. Uh, if you want to learn more, check us out at springofficehours.io where you can go ahead and ask us a question. You can go ahead and view past episodes as well as find, about, find out about our upcoming episodes. So check us out there. I have to say this. Uh, being at the conference was in Europe and I gave out, I think, I think about 500 stickers. It was two packs, and I don't remember how many are in those packs. But I, I gave out a lot of stickers uh, for the spring office hours. Uh, but I, I had no less than 30 personal, like one-on-one -on -one conversations. Like, could you make it more friendly for our time zone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm just throwing that out there again. Uh, some point, somewhere, we might have to sh throw in like a Thursday morning slot uh, yep. for our friends uh, on the other side. Yep, yep. Okay, cool. Um, I have a question. Uh, I have a newbie Gradle question. If there's any room for those today, there's always room for questions in office hours. That's what we are here to do. Um, so please get your questions in the chat and we'll see if we can get to them uh, as we go. Um, so while you were traveling to uh, Barcelona, Spain, I was traveling to Dallas, Texas last week. Uh, I threw this out uh, on a tweet. I said this is my very first observations of Dal of Texas in general, 
and I don't want to lump everybody into one bucket, but man, there are some really terrible drivers in the 30 <laughs> minutes that I was on the highway there. And I asked and I said, is this just Dallas? And people, uh, a lot of people got back to me and said, nope, that's pretty much all of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was my first impressions, but uh, it went it went well. We had a really great presentation with a customer on GraphQL and Spring Boot 3 and what's coming, Spring Boot 3 and beyond. I thought there were a lot of really great questions on GraphQL, um, which means that they are really excited about like pursuing this and not just like, hey, come and talk about it. Like they have a real interest in starting to move some services over to GraphQL and they wanted to like dive deeper on some of those questions. So um, that was pretty cool. And we so, just talked about GraphQL last week. So yeah, and I haven't gone deep and we talked about it last week. I haven't gone deep as I should on GraphQL, uh, but there was a lot of buzz also around GraphQL. Nice. And some of the new things that we're doing with Spring Boot 3.1.0. Uh, nice. Specifically around observability and mm -hmm. how the observability has been improved for GraphQL use cases specifically. So yep. yes, that, that, the Spring team is amazing. Oh, they are. Um, yeah, so cool. So that was last week. Um, with that, I think I'm going to let me move this over here and we can Go ahead and share my screen for those of us in the live stream. For those of you on the podcast, I'll go ahead and do my best to walk you through what we're talking about. So here we are here. Um, so I mentioned this last week. I'm not mentioning it again because this is the last week for early bird pricing. Okay. Spring one at VMware Explore. Get in there. Get your register now. Sign up for that. Join us in August. Deshaun and I will be there. We have a bunch of stuff that we're working on for that conference, which is going to be really exciting. Uh, some sessions, uh, maybe some other things, thing, and then we're, we're talking about doing uh, a 5K or some kind of run there. Uh, so we'll let you know more, more about that. And a special Office Hours podcast live and in person. Uh, so we're working on a whole bunch of things for August in Vegas in uh, August 21st through the 24th. Again, spring one at VMware Explorer. Day zero is all spring content. Uh, the rest of VMware Explorer, you'll find some spring content sprinkled out throughout. But you also learn a whole lot more. Um, you were at VMware. Uh, well, so this was VMworld last year. VMware Explorer. Um, yep. Oh, it was VMware Explorer last year. Yep. I think we changed it two years ago then. Um, so you were at VMware Explorer last year. What can folks um, who maybe stay after day zero, um, what, what can they expect to see at VMware Explorer? So in my head, uh, last year, my feeling of the spring community, the extended Tanzu community, people that are getting not just spring workloads, but getting things to production, uh, mm -hmm. And there was a there was a, a really great overlap. Um, the, the the feeling I left, what I remember saying, is I felt like my people were there. Like <laughs> it's more than um, the spring. Uh, there's kind of that Venn diagram where, hey, we want spring workloads to run as effectively, efficiently as possible in production. We want to make that path to production easy. So once I'm done with my amazing spring boot workload, for example, I want to get it containerized. I want to get it running. Uh, in the clouds, on-prem, in the edge, all the things, and that group of people that have that additional concern of getting these to production and taking care of security and all those things. That's what I saw. But it was still a nice overlap with a lot of the spring community, right? There's a bunch of us in the spring community that have those same kind of concerns. So that's where this VMware Explorer is going to be super valuable. If it's you're beyond uh, just worried about getting that application done, what happens mm -hmm. after you do get yep. uh, yep. all of the GitOps, all the Tanzu, all the things in all the clouds and all the Kubernetes? That's that's the exciting part. Yeah. So if you want to learn about containers and Kubernetes and all the things involved in that, uh, stick around. And yeah, it's going to be a great conference. So looking forward to that. Um, it's going to be amazing. And now, now that I am definitely going, uh, uh, it's, it's that time. I, I've been getting asked for basically since the beginning of the month, like, hey, where are you staying? When are you going? Uh, and now I, can, <laughs> I still don't know where I'm staying yet or, or when I'm going to get there, but I, I know that I'm going. And well, based on the number of people that have reached out, uh, I think that the early access is worth it. I think it's going to be packed. Uh, yep. And yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a good time. Well, we should, uh, we should definitely talk 
uh, soon about booking uh, where we're going to be. So we're at the Venetian, so we should probably try and stay at the Venetian. Venetian's a wonderful hotel. Anything right around the Venetian, you're not going to go wrong. Uh, I'm a big fan of like Caesars and Aria, but Venetian's great. So I think maybe we should uh, try and stay there. So we're, we're always right, real close to the action. Cool. So VMware Explorer, excited about that. Let's take a look at the calendar. So if you don't know, calendar.spring.io, this is a nice view into kind of the release calendar of all of the Spring uh, projects in the ecosystem, not just Spring Framework, not just Spring Boot, uh, but all the projects. So I wanted to mention something because I saw this come up on Twitter a little bit last week and people were a little bit confused. So when it comes to Spring Framework, Spring Boot, Spring Cloud, we definitely have a pattern of releases here. Spring Framework always comes first, then Spring Boot comes, and then Spring Cloud comes. So I saw people trying to spin up uh, Spring Boot 3.1 apps with something like Spring Cloud, and I even ran into this myself working on uh, a serverless function. I tried to include Spring Cloud function, and that was not available yet. That will now be available as of today, as we see here on the 23rd Spring Cloud release. Uh, that is getting released today. So always remember that in the future, Spring Framework comes first, then Spring Boot, and then Spring Cloud. And that's why there was that couple-day gap where you couldn't use some of those Spring Cloud projects. Um, on top of that, uh, we talked last week, some Graph Spring for GraphQL releases, uh, and then some minor releases for Spring Boot, um, whether it's the 2.5, 6, 7, 3.0.7, and, of course, 3.1.0 which we are going to talk about later in the show. Um, I think that's it for releases. Anything anything you want to talk about there, Deshaun? Um, nope. I'm going to say something kind of to Simon's comment here. Interesting. Well, it wasn't allowed in the Spring Initializer uh, because it hasn't been released yet. Um, sometimes those things do work. And uh, my take is just like, yeah, my take. If my tests pass, uh, I'm going to go ahead and send it to production. Uh, so, yeah. It's it's one of those things. It just depends. Like, like what's your comfort level? Figuring out when to do that update. So this is a really good topic, I think, for some point. Like that Spring Framework release comes out. Uh, do I have projects where I can upgrade the Spring Framework without any of the other dependencies? The Spring Boot comes. Can I update my Spring Boot parent without releasing the other dependencies, et cetera, and all the way down the line? There's got to be a process. Uh, and, and it extends that same kind of uh, order of operations kind of extends all the way until... November. What happens in November? 2.7 OSS support is ending. Yeah. Uh, so like if I'm building something today with 2.7, knowing that it's going to end, the OSS release is going to end in uh, November, do I ship that to my customer today? Like there's kind of a, a question. Should I be working on Spring Boot 3 if I'm going to be not releasing something to my customer for six months, uh, knowing that the end of life is going to be in seven months. Like there's really interesting conversations around when to adopt, when to release, and what that looks like for support down the line, not just your customers, but but their customers and, and yeah. how many people that affects. So again, going back to our, our spring team and this release cycle, uh, it's, it's a big change. This is a big improvement from what we were doing maybe 10 years ago. So I love it. It's just all of these high level concerns I don't have to think about. Yep. All right, cool. Um, uh, we do have some other questions. Keep your questions in there. No, okay. let's get to our stuff first. But keep okay. asking your questions. I have the questions starred, and we will absolutely cool. get to them in the end. Perfect. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, just a couple things I found around the web that I thought we could talk about real quick. Java is celebrating a birthday today. Today. First appeared May 23rd, 1995. I was still in high school. Oh, man, I'm getting up there. <laughs> um, so 28 years ago, that is when um, Java was first appeared on May 23rd. So today is a birthday. Happy birthday, Java. Happy birthday, Java. Happy uh, we talked about this birthday. last week. Spring for GraphQL 1.2.0 was released. Um, we knew that was happening last week, but we didn't yet have the announcement. 
And so if you're interested in all the things we talked about with Spring for GraphQL, if you missed last week's episode, go back to the archives, check that out. Um, but we talked about Spring for GraphQL, the new 1.2.0 release is out, and now we have some clarification, at least some kind of release notes around what went into it. And um, the big thing is the pagination support. So now you kind of had to like roll, hand roll your own pagination before. Uh, again, anytime we're talking about like how do I do some data type stuff, you're really delegating that to something else anyway. But um, this release provides first class support for pagination, seamlessly adapting spring data pagination to the GraphQL cursor connection, which again, just makes it easy to do right out of the box. So check out the reference docs if you're interested in that. Um, we have some schema mapping checks annotated exception handling. Um, so this is a big uh, uh, this is a big topic, exception handling as far as GraphQL goes. This is one of the things that we talked about in Dallas last week with a customer. And I, I'm not sure if you know this, um, so I'll, I'll just quickly like dive into it. but <clears throat> you know in rest when you make a call to an API, one of the things that you're dealing with is, okay, what is the request method and what are the status codes that I'm dealing with? So I make a get request to slash API slash posts. And when I get something back, I am going to look at that status code to tell me what happened. So if it's a 200, it was good. If it was a 404, you know, all the different status codes are giving you information as to what happened in that API. One of the knocks on GraphQL is that everything returns a 200. And the reason it does that is because you have these kind of graphs of data that are coming back, right? I could ask for a customer, and then a customer could have orders, and then inside of orders, I could have products. So it'd be kind of silly to return a 404 if I'm looking for customer order and a product that is no longer there, right? I'm not going to return a 404 based on that because some of that data is there, but some of it's not. So there is a little bit more of um, uh, some some constraints or, or, or there's levels, there's levels there, there, to the concerns. We return errors in the result set if there are any errors found, like null orders, null product, whatever. Like we we can examine the errors to find out like what went wrong. Um, so so those are some of the things we talked about last week. Again, we have some. Uh, now ability to uh, handle exceptions from the schema mapping. Um, they can be declared, applied within the same controller or globally using the at controller advice. So these are some things to, to check out as well. Um, so we'll try and get the link to this. Um, this is the kind of uh, release notes, if you will, for GraphQL 1.2. Put it out there. It's already there. Cool. In the chat. Thank you. It's up there. Covered. Perfect. Cool. Another thing I wanted to talk about was crack, um, coordinated restore at checkpoint. Got it? Yes. I think. All right. So so this was talked about at Spring I.O. This was um, from the Spring team's perspective. We kind of announced support for crack is coming. Um, there was even some demos as to how this might work. I think we might see some more demos, some more support for this in, in the June timeframe. Um, but did you did you happen to attend any of the sessions on this? Uh, not only that, I, I did see the all the different ways that we could scale to zero with Spring. Uh, nice. But I also got to have a lot of amazing conversations around it outside of the conference. And cool. Uh, yeah, it was. It's a great time to be a Spring developer. There's so much cool stuff. Cool. Lots of cool stuff. Cool. So I what I what I ended up doing was I'm linking to an article here that I found in Josh's uh, What is Spring Weekly Roundup, and it's just a really good article on what is crack. So if you start hearing crack, like what is this? Uh, is this something I'm going to need to use? Is this something that should be on my radar? The answer to that is yes. Um, but what is it? Uh, I would take a, a take a quick look at this uh, article. It kind of goes into what it is. Uh, Crack is kind of being backed by uh, this company called Azul, which is really great, a really great company. We have a, a lot of great friends over there. Um, if you're wondering what Crack is, here it is. I like this uh, header. Explain it to me like I'm six years old, sort of. 
So I, I'm not going to read through this whole thing because it is a pretty, um, there's, there's some detail in here and a lot of code examples, but I will leave a link to this article. And I think if you're interested in crack, this is uh, something you should check out. You want to explain it in five seconds? Um, can I explain it in five seconds? So um, I know we are taking basically a snapshot of everything. And instead of having to boot up everything, including the VM, uh, we don't yeah. do that anymore. We just, we, we kick off right from the restore of that checkpoint. Yes. Um, so it just another approach to increasing cold start time, yes. performance, less memory, all of the above, right? Right on. Well done. Um, how would you, how would you, so, so I guess some of the questions that are going to come up right away are like, okay, do I use that or AOT? Like, what's the difference? Yeah. Um, so there, and I think, oh, go ahead, please. Yeah. The, the difference, AOT is optimized for that architecture and you don't get the benefits that the JVM provides. So with this, yeah. I can still have the fast startup time, the milliseconds startup time and yeah. all the benefits of the JVM. Yep. So I can answer. use things like proxies or reflection yes. at runtime. Agents, reflection, I, all I, the other yeah. things, all the yep. things that we we know and love and still get yep. that fast startup time. Cool. All right. Yeah, I think that's a good kind of overview. But again, we'll leave that article if you want to go ahead and take a look at it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more in upcoming episodes. Cool. And then I did a video on AWS Lambda meets Java 17. So we talked about this last week. If you weren't aware, um, AWS Lambda now supports Java 17 as a runtime. So if you go in and create a Lambda function, whether you're using Java or something like Spring Boot and Spring Cloud, we couldn't do that before, right? Spring Boot 3 is uh, baselined on Java 17. And because of that, uh, we weren't able to kind of deploy our functions to AWS Lambda, and now we can. So I did a video showing you how to build a Lambda function uh, with Java 17, and then how to do it in Spring Boot 3.0 using Spring uh, Spring Cloud function as well. So. I'm looking. Uh, I saw Josh's, uh, you know, preparing his Spring tips in there. Wasn't there also a link to an article from Azure about Azure's optimized uh, JDK for ARM64. Oh, nice. I did not see that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking for the link. Uh, but yeah, that's somewhere. Uh, I'm going to, I'll follow up. But yeah, that's okay. That's got me excited too. Cool. I'll take a look. All right. Um, okay. So do you want to get to some questions or do you want to save those for later? Um, sure. Let's get to some questions. Uh, yeah, so here, uh, just me. Uh, he says, microservices in a practical way. I think that's the question. Like, hey, how do I do microservices in a practical way? What's the first thing that comes to mind for you? You would like me to give you a book that is this big and like this big? <laughs> is that a practical way? Or so uh, I, I'm not sure where you're going with this. Um, I know where I would go. I would go to uh, Nate Shuda. I would go to Nate Shuda. He has a, a great talk around yep. how to do, and it might even be called practical microservices, uh, but he has a great talk. Find it, I definitely, I know it's somewhere on our Tanzu TV uh, content, but that's where I would go. It's a, yeah. it's a concern, everybody has that concern, but that's, that's where I'd point you to instead of going and into it deep here. I, I think, so one thing that Nate's, um, I don't want to call it an article because it's not an article. It's actually like a mini book. <laughs> um, yes. But it is a guide, I guess I will call it. I think the first step is to determining whether or not it needs to be a microservice, right? Um, I think that's the biggest thing is we jump into microservices and go, everything we build needs to be a microservice. And, and that's not always the case. So being able to determine is this application a monolithic application or is it a microservice? I know um, Martin Fowler says, basically, if you're asking yourself that question, then it should be a monolithic application. There is no questions anymore. Um, there are some really great books on uh, outside of Nate's on trying to, again, determine what is a microservice. I know Sam Newman is just a, a really great author on, on the topic. What's the name of that um, book? Building microservices, I think. Yeah, I have I have a, a reference. Building microservices. That's the Sam Newman one. Yep. Uh, so I have I two of those here. That's the one. 
Um, and then there's a uh, Neil Ford and Mark Richards have uh, some really great books on uh, software architecture that go into not only microservices because again we we often we often use the word microservices to talk about distributed architectures and microservices are one flavor of that this is a a type of distributed architecture there are other types of that where maybe you're not using a database per service right there are other ways to do distributed architecture so i think the practical way is okay, let's learn about this. Let's figure out if we need to split this into microservices. Then you can get into, all right, now I need to build this in Spring. I know this service needs to be a microservice. Now, what are the components that you need uh, to build out that microservice? You're still going to be building, you're still going to be using the projects that you're used to using, Spring Boot, Spring Data, Spring Security. But there's going to be some additional projects that you'll want to learn. Uh, so check out like the Spring Cloud project and all the components inside of there. And you'll you you won't need all of those projects, but you might need you know a couple of them to facilitate building a microservice. So I think that's really a good place to kind of start. Without a specific question, that's kind of my general advice. The one the other one that comes to my head is from uh, Chris Richardson, uh, learning or microservices patterns. Nice. Um, that's a, a good book that I don't think uh, has too much fluff. Uh, and it's it's one that like just pops into my head when I'm thinking about doing things. And uh, Thomas Batali's uh, book, his recent book, oh, yes. I think is a great introduction to microservices with Spring and Spring Boot. So Cloud Native Spring. Cloud Native Spring. Um, it's it's great when I can just look on the bookshelf and see all these books. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, did I tell you what happened to me? No. <laughs> I had a copy of Thomas's book. I took it with me to Barcelona. I, I pulled it out of my bag. I put it on the thing. I wanted to get him to sign it. Yeah. And I and left, you left it, it in there. The hotel. Oh, man. I, 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 chance. I left a, um, an Apple Pencil in San Francisco when we were there for <laughs> earlier this year. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Ugh, it's the worst. Yeah. I didn't get it signed. And then I left the book there. So, oh, man. Uh, Sorry to hear that. We'll, well, there are uh, worse a... things than supporting Thomas by buying another copy. <laughs> yep, yep. That money could go, uh, yeah, much worse places. Uh, so we have a couple of things, a couple of questions here. So this is uh, Solitary Turians, who thank you for coming back. Uh, he says, one of the things that holds me back from migrating to Gradle is that I haven't found a way to see all the dependency management like I can find by a control LMB on Spring Boot dependencies in Idea Maven. I don't know what that command is. Either do uh, I. But what I do in IntelliJ, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up a project real quick, and maybe I can even do it on the show. Uh, but I think I think that you can do that. Uh, but I want to see what that is. Uh, that's the main question. Can I do that in Gradle? I'm gonna go out on it. I'm gonna say yeah, probably. Uh, so there's a. See if there's a are way. we talking about the dependencies like tools window in I, IntelliJ IDEA where like you can search for something and look for it? Uh, control and left clicking. So control left clicking. Are you just talking about like, hey, when I import it, I want to see it in my um, like in my explorer on the left hand side. The other cool thing, I don't know if you know this, but you can take a Maven XML dependency and paste it into a Gradle build file, and it will paste in the correct like Groovy code, not the XML. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's like magic. <laughs> oh boy! And vice versa. I think you could take the Groovy code and paste it into Maven, and it just spit out the XML. <laughs> um, um, no, the list of dependency versions, not and dependency management. Oh, of the Spring Boot dependencies, Palm. So yeah, I. So it. In Maven, I know what you're talking about now, I think. In Maven, at the top, I go to like the uh, command click on the dependencies bomb and then go into there and then look at all the dependencies declared. Um, I don't know if you can, but if not, you should be able to just open that directly from uh, IntelliJ. So commando and type in the name of that whatever that is. Um, I don't have anything open right now, but you should be able to do that. 
there's got to be a way to get to that yeah um quickly so all right uh but i don't think that's something that should keep you from from trying out gradle for sure for sure there's got to be a way around that yeah um so if anybody out there knows let us know all right um i have a kind of question uh start looking into rabbit listener to get messages from the rabbit mqq and set up so it will accept the message as json data but i don't seem to get validation to work for the data validating mm -hmm. so do you want to validate data going into or coming out of uh is the question tell me more but this idea so we had a similar conversation yesterday and i'm trying to think oh it was with uh amrut uh getting things off of a queue using listeners using these uh streams annotations or the integration annotations which are now the same uh you have a lot of really flex you have a lot of flexibility on how you handle that data uh, mm -hmm. but on the rabbit listener side i'm assuming that you're wanting to validate the data coming off and, and maybe it's better to validate going in but uh yeah that's just you want to get validation to work for the data uh if you can send us a the way that it works here for me anyways is like i like to get a repo i like to jump on a zoom and pair and let's figure out what we're gonna do and uh thomas is here in the show today thank you thomas uh, we got to do that on the bus when we were in barcelona so not only did i get to eat lunch with thomas and take pictures with thomas uh, thomas is now the youngest speaker ever at a spring io the youngest speaker ever at spring io and, wow that's awesome yeah. So when you bring your questions here, we don't always have the answer, but we're happy to help. This is I can't thing. wait to watch. I can't wait to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, yes. Share, share a GitHub repository with us. Uh, we are both on Twitter uh, and, and LinkedIn and all the things. Yeah, reach out, give us a repo. <laughs> I want to help you. Uh, I just don't know how to do that right now during the show, but I, I want to help. Um, what else we got here? Um, I had a question um, on Microsoft's. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to jump to this question. For those of you on the podcast, the question is, at work, we have 12 oh. microservices. How should we manage shared code? Should we? Question mark. Mm. So this, this comes into the notion of what is a microservice then. Um, there are some kind of not concrete rules, but rules around what a microservice should be one of those things should be independently deployable. So if it's required to use something else, then is it really independently deployable? So these are artifacts that we want to be able to change at any point and just go ahead and deploy them. If we have to change some shared code that each 12 of these microservices use, then are they really independent? So I think that is the first place that I'd look at is like, why do we have shared code? You are going to duplicate things across microservices. It's one of the, the cons against, there are many pros. Uh, one of the, the kind of downsides to it, if you will, are you're going to duplicate code, um, but you get a lot of pros out of, out of creating those microservices. So I think I would start there. What about you, Deshaun? Yep, if, if there is shared code, the, that automatically makes me think that the boundaries exist when they shouldn't. If I've got objects that I'm using in a bunch of microservices, maybe those microservices shouldn't be separate. Maybe if they're all around the same domain and they're all using these same objects in the same way, that shared code, then maybe the boundaries uh, should be redrawn a little bit. That's where, yep. that's my default answer. And on the other side of that, if there are things that are shared and they don't have to be the exact same, they don't have to have uh, be released in the same way, then exactly. maybe it's just the interface. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where the, the Spring Cloud contract comes in. So avoiding the shared code and sharing the, the contract of how we're going to talk with each other uh, is the other side of that coin. Um, yep. And then I saw a good comment uh, from Edu. And, whoops. Shared libraries are fine. We have a few platform wide. Yeah. Also, domain builders, I don't know, because it's it tights the change to every single consumer. I've been there will not do it anymore, right? We've, we've got scar <laughs> tissue. There's alternatives yeah. to having that shared. But I understand some people like to have uh, ownership of, hey, I made this thing and, and everybody else is going to consume this thing. Uh, and I think I think now we talk about people first uh, and is that really valuable to have those shared libraries? And then 
continuing, like logging, alerting, open tracing. Yeah, they're, they're shared patterns and you can have those shared patterns, but do they really need to be shared libraries that you're going to assume? Uh, because what if just one microservice wants to change the way that they're using that library? Do you force right. then everybody to do it? There's a lot of right. questions that come in there. So yeah. Um, there's one question I wanted to come back to because this is a GraphQL question. Uh, is data loader and federation supported out of the box around the new Spring Graph? I know that I heard that question a few times uh, uh, last week. Yeah, so federation, I don't believe is something, again, I'm still trying to get clarification on that because it came up last week. And I know there are federation examples in Java, but I don't know that I have seen an example of it done in Java and Spring. So I'm still trying to get, get clarification around that, but I don't think so. Uh, data loader, I don't know um, wh what specifically you're asking about there. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as federation goes, not that I know. So again, for federation, um, kind of anybody at home, distributed GraphQL APIs, you usually have one API layer, kind of the same way that we have like a gateway, right? That is talking to um, other API, GraphQL APIs, but they all kind of talk to one central uh, API, if you will. Um, so there are probably ways to stitch that together, but nothing like supported out of the box that I know of. Uh, Dan brought up this whole path to production. We can't release the prod until we run our Fortify scanner, Fortify static code analyzer. I, I started that. Uh, I think I had another question for you, Dan, but I just want to bring it up. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, let me know where your head's at on that one. Uh, and then to answer Sandro, so Crack is an alternative data. Yeah, it's absolutely an alternative. It's another way for that fast startup and scale to zero. It's another option uh, without having to do the, um, the native approach. Uh, you can still get all the benefits of uh, the JVM and the fast yep. startup time. Scanning, scanning. Oh yeah, there's another comment here. As far as I know, there's no support out of the box for Spring GraphQL for Federation. Um, okay, cool. So I think we're going to, where are we at? Yeah, let's jump into today's topic, which is Spring Boot 3.1.0, which is available now, it was released last week. We have a blog post that we can go ahead and share with you. We also have some release notes that we're going to talk through today, and we'll kind of look at this together. Um, so what's new in 3.1? The highlights of the release are support for managing external services at development time using test containers and Docker Compose, simplified configuration of test containers in integration tests, centralized and expanded configuration of SSL, Real big one, auto configuration for Spring Authorization Server. Uh, there were some dependency upgrades. We're now on Spring for GraphQL 1.2, which we just talked about. Uh, Spring Security 6.1, Spring Session, Spring Integration, Spring Data. So we've upgraded some of those dependencies. So the real power in this is anytime you kind of see uh, these types of blog posts for the release and you want to kind of dig a little bit further, I always jump into the release notes. So if you look at the release notes, this will kind of tell you exactly what has gone on. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing we always do in the release notes is talk about upgrading from the previous version. So the previous version here was Spring Boot 3.0. What's going to change if I'm updating my 3.0 project to a 3.1 project? And here, not a whole lot, um, dependency management, uh, filter, servlet and filter registrations. Um, there's some git commit ID properties and auto configuration. So not a whole lot. Um, I know that uh, this one I think is a, uh, I don't know if this is a big one, but I think I've heard some things around this. Uh, for those of you at home, we're looking at the release notes or on the podcast. Um, Spring Boot 3.1 upgrades to Hibernate 6.2. Please refer to the Hibernate 6.2 migration guide. I don't think this is a big one, but I know that I've heard a lot of questions around upgrading to Spring Boot 3 in general, Deshaun, because people were moving to a newer version of Hibernate. So again, anytime you're, you're moving to a newer version of one of these gigantic Java libraries like Hibernate is, 
those are some things you should always take a look at. Never take it for granted. Like everything's just going to work as it was. Um, so if you if you have a chance, look through the Hibernate Migration Guide and make sure you understand that. Um, Jackson Spring Boot 3.1 upgrades to Jackson 2.1.15. Uh, so this may affect your application because of a couple things here. We are um, upgrading to Mikito 5, specifically 5.3, and a couple other things. So those are things that you should look out when you upgrade. Anything sticking out to you there, Deshaun? No, no. I was looking for Nate Shuda's responsible microservices. There you go. Nate Shuda. Thank you. Yeah, let's get that out. Okay, so I think um, from a theme perspective, right, Spring Boot 3.0 was just a humongous release in a lot of ways, but mainly from like an infrastructure theme, right? Like AOT was a huge undertaking for the Spring team um, and all of the Spring projects uh, to, get that, to get that ready to go. Um, there are also some nice things in there for developers like uh, HTTP interfaces and uh, dealing with API error, error responses with problem details. Um, but a lot of moving to Java 17, Jakarta, AOT, these are kind of infrastructure themes, right? I, I like that in 3.1, there are some more like developer-focused themes, things that are going to really help developers. And uh, the first one here is the service connection. So I'm not going to read through this line by line, but the service connections is what is making the test container support and the Docker Compose module support out of the box work. And the new service connection concept has been introduced uh, using something called a connection details beam. And so I'll, again, read through the release notes if you want to learn a little bit more about that. But these two things use that. The first yes. is test containers. So using test containers at development time. Before I even start to read through some of this, let's just talk about what, what is test containers at a high level to you, Deshaun? Can you kind of talk to us about what test yep. containers is for anyone who might be new to what it is? So there's, there's a couple of ways that I like to think about it. First of all, I like to think about the, the user experience of, I want to try out your project. I want to try out your GitHub repo. The idea that I can, I don't have to, to do a, a lot of steps to set up a working environment or an example environment. That's massively valuable. So I don't have, to, I no longer have to worry about uh, which operating system are you on. It's Docker kind of runs everywhere. Test containers run everywhere. So I can take your GitHub repo and I can do, you know, Maven Spring Boot run or Spring Boot test run. And I can have a working in example from your repository. That experience of Git clone, uh, maybe the Spring Boot run or Gradle build or whatever, Gradle run, uh, whatever that one is. Uh, that is a big, massive first step. Now, secondly, the developer experience while we are working on our application, if I'm moving from something that's backed by Redis to something that's backed by Postgres or something that has a different schema backed by Postgres on pro project A and project B, it's got a different schema. That idea that I don't have to switch or configure some existing uh, database. I can have it all created and ran inside of a container. And when I'm done with that project, it's gone. So there's two kind of ways that I think about test containers and how valuable that can be. The, the quick start, the you know easy to set up environment. And for tests, I don't have to pre-configure infrastructure. I can have it configured as part of my tests to run my tests. And that's, it's a new way, it's a new paradigm. It's been around for a long time, but it's the way that things should be done. We want to do as little, or we want to create as little pre-work for developers as possible. That developer experience, test containers is a big part of it. All right, and so prior to 3.1, test containers was really used for testing. Um, what, what is being added here is uh, support for test containers to manage external services at development time. So this is what's kind of new. There's a new Maven goal, Spring Boot Test Run, and a new Gradle task, Boot Test Run, that can be used to launch an application through a test main method when using test containers at development time. 
So <clears throat> there's some information in here to take a look at on how you can do that, uh, as well as links to the reference documentation. So that's been updated to kind of go through this. The biggest thing here is the uh, introduction of the at service connection annotation. Before we had to do this dance where we mark something as a container. We had uh, an at dynamic property source to kind of inject those uh, value, those property values at runtime. Now you don't need to do that. You can just mark it as a service connection and everything will just work. So that's pretty, it's a nice little simplification of, of making that work. So that's test containers at development time. Um, another one is Docker Compose. So there's a Spring Boot Docker Compose module. Uh, I've done a video on this. If you want to check out my YouTube channel, shameless plug, youtube.com slash at Dan Vega. But uh, what this will do is if you have a Docker Compose file, so I, in the root of my project, I have a docker-compose.yaml, and I want to start up, say, a Postgres database. Normally, what I would have done prior to 3.1 is I'd have this Docker Compose. I'd either run it from my IDE or I'd go Docker Compose up, and it would start. And then I would go into my application.properties and fill in any connection details to that container that I needed. And then I would go ahead and run my app. A lot of times, I'd forget to run the Docker Compose file. And so then I'd have to do that dance of, okay, what's going wrong? And then I realize I didn't start it. And then I go ahead and start it and everything works. What we're doing here is by convention, we're looking for that file and we're saying, hey, we're going to start that container for you automatically. And oh, you already have defined properties for this database connection in this example. We're just going to inject those into a property source somewhere so that we can use them. There's no need for you to double define them, right? So. That simplifies a lot of things, especially back to your point, Deshaun, of I just want to get a project and go ahead and run it. So now if I run this project, uh, there's a Docker Compose file. All my dependencies are started up. I'm just ready to go. I don't have to, to kind of mess with anything. So that's pretty uh, cool. Another question here. Can you define your own service connections for your own containers? Yes. The answer is yes. The test containers, the team at Atomic Jar, they release a bunch of test containers that have those service details or connection details and service connector uh, implemented. Uh, but some of the containers that I like to use, some of the open source projects that I like to use, uh, haven't got that yet. Uh, but another topic that I've seen and heard a lot of people doing is for not just the open source data services, but for internal projects, internal libraries as an internal testing tool, releasing a test container of my project A to Dan, so he can start working on project B, which consumes project A, I can release it as a test container. And that's a pattern that I'm hearing more and more of. I heard quite a bit of it last week. So the answer to your question, James, is yes, you can release your own test containers. And that's a that's a pattern that I, I have heard of uh, out in the broader ecosystem. So yeah, I'd love to hear how that goes for you. Cool. Okay, next up, SSL configuration. Um, so SSL certificates can now be configured using properties and applied to various connections such as embedded web service servers, data services. If you're using something like REST template and web client, um, this is just all becoming more consistent. Check out the reference docs to learn more. This is a big one, auto configuration for Spring Authorization Server. So to get started with Spring Authorization Server before, uh, you could include like 1.0, but then you had to add like a bunch of configuration, you know, add a configuration class, add a bunch of beans to, to basically set up a default configuration for Spring Authorization Server. This release ships the Spring Authorization Server project with a new Spring Boot Starter OAuth 2 Authorization Server Starter. And this just kind of even simplifies setting up an auth server further. So you can find that in the authorization server section of the Spring Boot reference docs. We have to play with that. That's just amazing. For sure. Yep. Um, One of the topics last week, Rob talked about, you know, you add Spring uh, security to your project, you get basic auth, it can generate the password. And, yep. and, oh, hey, yeah, I don't need all that. I just use uh basic off and he went and it was exciting i wish i could give it all the credit uh or, or the 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 details that it that it deserves uh but the idea that the value of just throwing a spring security in and doing basic off versus taking an extra step and doing authorization server 
to get a much better protected, a much more secure. And the, the delta between the amount of work that I have to do uh, mm -hmm. is actually minimal. Yep. And in some cases, it's actually going to be easier to go that approach. So uh, nice. claps, shout out, watch Rob Winch's uh, example. I'm from definitely going to check that out. Cool. Um, okay, next up is Docker image building. So there are a couple of new features here. Big one is the image created date and time. Deshaun, you want to talk about this? What is that thing that you always see? Yeah, the idea that uh, Docker, when we were creating these containers, it was giving us uh, at the, the epoch time. So it was 43 years uh, ago <laughs> that that image was created. And now we have a, a, an ability to set that time. That's it. It's cool. so that when I go and I look at my my Docker images locally, uh, they actually have real dates. Yeah, and then the the other one here is the image application directory. So now you have kind of access to change that. All to say that if you're building these um, uh, Docker images, again, we're not writing these Docker files. We're using uh, the OCI compliant container images, but you have some control over how those are created and we have different properties that we can set. So if you weren't aware of that, go ahead and take a look at the documentation. Uh, if you need to go ahead and change the name of the file, the date it was created, the time it was created, all these different things you can go ahead and configure in whether it's Maven or Gradle. Um, Spring for GraphQL, we talked about that with 1.2.0 release. Those changes are in there. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Uh, some dependency upgrades, a lot of dependency upgrades. Go ahead and read through those. And then there's a long list of miscellaneous. Um, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to dig through here. Have you seen anything in here that jumps out to you? Um, no, I don't have my glasses on, so I'm not reading <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, just, um, they are various and miscellaneous uh, changes. So go ahead and take a look at that. Yeah, well, I can say I saw a lot of folks already upgrading and already using Spring Boot 3.1.0. Nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like days later, you know, it just got released last uh, Thursday uh, and people are already using it. Like that's exciting. That is awesome. Cool. Um, all right. Any other questions today? Um, there's questions around all the work that Spring Boot Spring Team did uh, for the AOT processing. Um, mm. We had to rebase to Java 17, first of all. Uh, the Spring ecosystem has been around for a long time. So in order to maintain compatibility and to kind of follow the patterns, we wanted to make it uh, so you had a good experience when you're upgrading from previous versions. So there was a lot of work. Spring uses reflection under the covers for a lot of things. Uh, and what the Spring Team did was change the way they developed it so that those hints that are needed by the Graal VM, those are provided. So even though you don't have to change your code to support Graal VM, that's because the Spring team did the work for you if you're using the Spring Framework. So and, gonna... and they did it for Spring Framework, Spring Boot, all, all the, the projects. projects in the ecosystem. Yep. So you can imagine um, just how long that took. And again, I have an example of, of me doing this in the most simplest example in the world in, on my YouTube channel. And I was like, wow, just for this like one piece of reflection code, I had to go in here and like do all this stuff. I can't even imagine the undertaking that it took to, to, to get that done. So again, kudos to the Spring team on the 3.0 release. Sandro says, aren't we all enterprise Java devs here? We were talking about uh, Docker desktop still being free. It, it is in some cases, not all. Uh, and yeah, Bojanche says, nope, TypeScript, next JS dev, but expand the toolkit. So I just wanted to shout out and say, hey, yes, go check out spring.academy. Great place to learn. And it continues to get better. It's, it's expanding and it is, yeah, it's a great resource. Definitely check it out. Absolutely. Um, okay, cool. Um, I, had, I had a couple other questions I want to get to, but we will get to those next week. I think we're up against our, our, our time here. Uh, but if you want to, um, actually, before we get into kind of closing remarks, um, I wanted to, we have a little segment called Just One More Thing. Uh, this is a chance for Deshaun and I to basically tell you about anything else that we're interested in or shameless plugs, which I'm going to do now. If you didn't know, I have a newsletter, 
Check out my newsletter at danvega.dev slash newsletter. If you want to stay caught up with everything that, that I'm kind of working on, which is a lot of the time, all the things we talk about here on Spring Office Hours, but um, check out my newsletter, danvega.dev slash newsletter. Deshaun, just one more thing. Um, I am, Kubernetes is a thing, Spring is the thing. Uh, I am going to be building content around Spring on Kubernetes, Spring Cubed, as I'm calling it. Uh, just stay tuned, yeah, on my YouTube channel and, and all the other places. Uh, I just want to take it just one step further. I have a problem with stopping at the app is done. I need to get that app to production in some way, shape, or form. So I'm going to be doing some content with some friends around the ecosystem around what it looks like to run Spring on Kubernetes on all the places. Cool. Check it out. All right. So with that, uh, I'm going to say we are still collecting questions. If you have them, find us, uh, send them in. There are a couple ways that you can do this. Head over to springofficehours.io. That will take you to the VMware Tanzu Developer Center. On there, there is a Spring Office Hours Q&A button. Go ahead and click on that. Ask us a question. We will go ahead and try to answer your questions. That's a great place to find out more. You can also follow us on Twitter, at TheRealDanVega, at Deshaun on Twitter. And with that, uh, we have a lot of exciting topics coming up. If you are interested in hearing us talk about something, please go ahead and reach out to us and let us know. Uh, with that, we should be back next week, same time, same bad channel. And with that, we wish you a good one. Have a happy uh, Memorial Day or Labor Day weekend. Wait, Memorial Day weekend Memorial here weekend. in the U.S. <laughs> uh, and with that, uh, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day, everyone. Wonderful. Thanks. See you.